already dead and they're, they're, they're in heaven, you know. So it's a psalm of life and not of death. It's a psalm of rescue, deliverance, favor, blessings. And uh, if you remember, I was sharing with Pastor Ron this morning that, you know, if you remember the movie, The Christmas Story, you see it every year. It's like on all day long. You really get bored with it. But I like what that one kid said. He said, I triple dog dare you. And this is what this psalm is all about. I triple dog the devil to try to try to hinder God's people from getting blessed. I triple dog dare him. Anyway, it's a psalm of life, blessing. Come on out. This uh, Wednesday, 7 o'clock, we're going to have a good time. Thank you, brother. Amen. Good. That is a wonderful psalm. Wonderful, wonderful psalm. Amen. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you will, open them to Philippians, the fourth chapter. <clears throat> Philippians, the fourth chapter. And we are going to be down in verse four. And I, I was thinking about going further, but I got stuck on just verse four. So we'll just talk about verse four this morning. We talked about the importance, these last few, day, uh, last few verses, the importance of... Um, being of one mind and one heart, Euodia and Syntyche, and uh, just for fairness, Paul did uh, talk about division and problems that were brought about by men as well. So it's not just the ladies, it's the men as well, right? So unity and how important unity is, and that that unity will lead to uh, so many wonderful things, and of how important it is, uh, the last part of verse 3, that our names are written in the book of life. That, of course, is the most important aspect of all of this, and that's why we can all be one. We can all be together as one mind and one body uh, because of that unity that we have of salvation. Then verse 4, <clears throat> very simple, short verse. We all know it by heart probably. Rejoice in the Lord as often as you can. Always rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Uh, wonderful little short challenge from the enemy, and of course, or from Paul, I'm sorry, uh, in overcoming the enemy. And uh, this, uh, we had mentioned a while back that joy is the keynote of this book, uh, Philippians, this letter, and it is, this is actually the keynote passage of the entire book. This is one of the climaxes that Paul was building to. This is the key passage. Even though he was in custody in Rome, even though he was awaiting trial, somewhat sure of what was going to happen to him, Paul was still overjoyed at the, the generosity of the Philippians, and his heart was still filled with joy. So that's probably a little sermon for us no matter what we're going through uh, even in those darkest times we can of course still have that joy so we're going to look at three points from this little verse four uh, number one our joy is encouraged number two our joy has to spring from Christ and number three our joy has to be continuous so it, our joy is encouraged our joy springs from Christ and our joy is continuous so let's look at that first aspect of it that our joy is encouraged Paul is encouraging us to maintain an attitude of joy. So we want to get a, first a, just a definition of what joy really is. And joy here is actually not, it's not worship, it's not praise, it really is joy. It's to be cheerful, to be cheerful. Are we to continually be in a state of worship? Absolutely. Are we to continually be in a state of praise? Absolutely. But for a lot of us, uh, depending on how we work in life and where we're at, it's a little bit difficulty to a little bit difficult to physically worship while measuring a piece of metal on a milling machine. 
You know, that's sort of hard. It's, it's physically difficult to worship while we're performing a surgery if we're a doctor. I mean, we, we hope we're praying, <laughs> but uh, it's difficult, it's difficult to, to worship while you're teaching a fourth grade class or something. It's, it's, it's a little difficult, a little bit hard to do that. So some of our professions prohibit us from that prayer and that worship at every moment. Others, we can do it. So, but the, the word here is actually cheer. It's to be calmly happy, to be glad. <laughs> to be calmly happy. Now, I, I like that. Now, we know that happiness comes from something that happens, so we don't rest ourselves on this, and we'll talk about this later. But to be calmly filled with joy, that, that's such a wonderful picture of the way a believer should be in the midst of whatever situation, calmly filled with joy. Uh, but, but there is no way... It is not humanly possible, I'm going to let you off the hook here a little bit, to be glad and cheerful all the time. We, we talked about the verse last week, shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. I'm sure there was joy inside of him, because we know that we can weep and have joy at the same time. But to be cheerful, now my heart is very sorrowful, he said. So, so it's not possible as humans to be cheerful all the time. As a matter of fact, the two shortest verses in the Bible are John eleven thirty five, which I just mentioned. What's that verse? Jesus wept. Two verses, two two words. Shortest verse. Second shortest verse is First Thessalonians five fifteen, where Paul says, "Rejoice always." So the two shortest verses in the Bible are about joy and weeping. <laughs> um, isn't that? just like a perfect description of life. <laughs> Joy and weeping at the same time many times. <laughs> Remember, it was Paul who said, weep with those who are weeping and laugh with those who are laughing. So this, this is not a command that we have to put on this fake cheerfulness all the time. It is, a, it is instead, I believe, an encouragement from the apostle to say that no matter what you're going through, always try to maintain that deep, joy inside of you. That deep calmness. Don't run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Just maintain that calmness because it's, it's both sides of life. It's like Willie who died and left his wife $250,000. Uh, his wife rose because he wanted the most elaborate funeral that there could be. And so uh, she did this elaborate funeral, and as the last attender left, it was a friend of hers, she said, well, I'm sure that Willie would have been really pleased with this funeral. And uh, she said, you know, Willie gave you $250,000 for this funeral. Could I ask you, how much did you spend on the funeral? And the wife looked and said, all of it. And Rose said, what? $250,000? I mean, that was really nice, but 250000 And the wife nodded, yes. She says, well, how did you spend that? She says, well, it was very simple. The funeral was $50,000. And then I donated $30,000 to the church. The elaborate dinner and musicians was $20,000. And the rest went toward the memorial stone. And this, the friend calculated very quickly and said, wow, $150,000 for a memorial stone. Exactly how big is it? And the wife said, 10 carats. Sometimes we cry with Willie's widow. Sometimes we laugh with Willie's widow, right? <laughs> 
So this is, this is a command by Paul, but I see it, as I said, more of an encouragement. Uh, and like any other spiritual discipline, we all know that spiritual disciplines don't just happen by themselves, do they? You don't just happen to pray. You don't just happen to be joyful. You don't just happen to love. You just don't happen to... No, it's, it's an act of the will and it's constant. So, so our, first, our first thought from this is that our, our joy needs... It's an encouragement that our joy should be there constantly. Always encouraging our joy. The second thing is our joy should spring from Christ. Now, let's just for a moment, just for a moment, let's talk about transitive and intransitive verbs. How many want to talk about that? Yeah. Jim sort of raised his hand. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, verbs are either transitive or intransitive. Sometimes they can stand alone, but sometimes they need a direct object of some kind. So the sentence has to make sense that way. So this verb, uh, rejoice, is actually both transitive and intransitive, but uh, it, it has to have an object. So I could say, for instance, I drive. Well, that is a sentence. It's a subject and a verb. I drive. But that could mean I drive the car, I drive a truck, I drive a tractor, I drive my wife crazy. <laughs> could mean anything. Uh, the unemployment rate drives the stock market. So the, the word drive there, it needs an object. So Paul is very specific here. He says, rejoice, and here's the direct object, in the Lord. There has to be an object that we rejoice in. There's a purpose for it. Rejoice in the Lord. He said it in the third chapter of Philippians 2. He repeats the same thing again. So he, he says it three times in two chapters. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then he says it again. In, rejoice in the Lord. I say again. Rejoice. So it's, it's an object. We are rejoicing is in Jesus. Is there anything down here that can really inspire true joy? Mm. Well, yes. Occasionally we have blessings that give us joy. The companionship of a spouse, the companionship of a friend, friends that comfort one another. Uh, as, as Bev just testified, she, she said to me on the phone, she says, I was just in tears the whole service at how many people came up and me and just were praying for me. Just, it, it was such a comfort. It was such a joy. And we do have those things. Life does bring us joy. He has given us all things richly to enjoy. So we can get joy from things. But what happens when the friends are gone? Anybody have any of your friends that ever left you? What happens when the health is gone? What happens when the vacation ends? What happens when the spouse dies? What happens when the thief steals it? What happens when the moth corrupts it? What happens when rust destroys it? What's left after the thrill is gone? <laughs> That's what we are as humans. We're thrill seekers, aren't we? Always looking for a thrill, but the thrill is gone. That's why I, that's why I, can't, it's I can't go to buffets anymore. Because I can't eat my money's worth anymore. I get depressed. Because I can only get like two plates down. I used to, when I was young, I used to get five or six plates down. Now I get like two and I'm like, oh, I'm done. Oh, man, and look at all that food. Oh. The thrill goes real quick. It's the way life is. The thrill goes so fast. Two verses that I love in the Old Testament, 
uh, Jeremiah, the second chapter, and Isaiah 55. For my people, Jeremiah says, and remember, they were in a destitute situation. They had turned themselves over to the evil ones. They had sided with other nations, and God judged them. And, of course, they were being carried off into captivity. And, and uh, he said, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Not just a fountain of waters, but a fountain of living waters. And they have hewn out for themselves cisterns that are broken and can hold no water. Is that a perfect picture of what we do in the flesh? (laughs) Oh, yeah, this is such a great idea. Look at this cistern I'm going to make. And we end up making this thing that is broken and leaking. (laughs) They left the true ever-flowing fountain and they tried to replace it with a water container of their own making that was broken and leaking. Do I even need to preach on this? Most of us in this room have experienced this multiple times in our lives. We can look back and say, man, what an idiot. What an idiot. What did I try to do there? At the time, it seemed like such a good idea, right? So we, we, we do that all the time, and we end up empty every time, and we wonder, why, am I, why do I feel so empty? Well, it was probably because it was something that you made up yourself, and you thought it was going to fulfill you, and it didn't. I know, <laughs> it's quiet. <laughs> That's fine, because I've been there. But I love Isaiah 55 even better. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money... <laughs> Come, buy, and eat. And then he says it again. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for not that which is not bread and wages for that which is not satisfied? He says two times, buy something with no money. How do you buy something with no money? I don't know, but I like it. Talk about a discount. Come and buy. How much does that cost? Nothing. Oh, good, because I don't have any money. Then it's yours. Buy without money. Wow. Why do you spend money, he says, on these things? Listen carefully, he says to me. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. How many things in our lives drain us of our joy because they are broken, empty containers. When we made them, they looked so good. When we made them, they felt so gratifying. When we did it, it appeared so satisfying. But after all the joy drained out, we're usually left with an expensive, broken, empty container. Now, You may say, wait a minute, this sounds like you're preaching against things or possessions. No, I'm actually not. Uh, As I said, the word says he's given us all things richly to enjoy. So enjoy things, but find your joy in Jesus. So when the thing is gone, I am stopping the temptation of singing that song, The Thrill is Gone. Brother Grandi, you're into Motown. You should come up here and sing. (laughs) When, the, when it's gone, you can say, eh, well, it was cool when I had it, but my joy is still in Jesus. Possess what you need to possess. But please, be possessed by the Holy Spirit first. Live as you need to live in this realm. But live and move and have your being in Jesus first. Understand that he's given us all things richly to enjoy. So if you have it, he gave it to you to enjoy it. If you do not have it, then please enjoy not having it. Don't try to get it. 
Just enjoy it. Godliness with contentment, Paul says, is great gain. He didn't say godliness and 100,000 in the bank, godliness and a nice uh, stingray, 62 stingray. He didn't say godliness and this degree. He said godliness with contentment is great gain. So wherever you're at, be content in it and enjoy the great gain that he has given you. And by all means, by all means, when you find yourself thirsting, when you find yourself empty, when you find yourself hungry, please check your supply. Is it the empty cistern that you made that has run dry? Is it that person who never, you never thought they'd leave you, but they left you? Is it that possession that enthralled you so much, but now it's gone? Check your cistern. Check your supply. Our joy should always spring from Jesus. Mm. And, and, and again, that doesn't mean you have to uh, do anything in your life, but I will tell you this. If you find your joy and your contentment in Jesus, seriously, I, I seriously mean this. If you find, and this may sound too preachy for you, that's fine, but if you find your joy and your peace and your sustenance and your supply in Jesus, I guarantee you, you will buy less. You will eat less. You'll do a lot of things less. Ooh, okay, we'll go to the next point. <laughs> I, I always think that the best example, one of the best examples I could think about this is John the Beloved. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he lived a wonderful, normal life, uh, the, the Apostle John. He was at Ephesus. He was in different churches. I'm sure he enjoyed everything that that culture had to give him at that time. Probably ate nice meals, probably had nice fellowship, probably lived and moved in and out of nice homes and things like that. I'm, I'm sure he did what he had to do uh, and all that. But when he was banished to the Isle of Patmos, and he had nothing, he starts the book of Revelation by saying, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. <laughs> when it was all gone, he still said, I'm in the Spirit. So much so that I can receive a 22-chapter revelation from God and write it down and send it out. Wow, wow. It's a challenge. So <clears throat> our joy should, of course, spring from Christ. And finally, our joy in Christ should be continuous. Jesus said, you know it well, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. <laughs> that's, that's, that's almost comical. Hey, guys, you're going to have a lot of trouble ahead of you. It's really bad, but, but be of good cheer. It's okay. Be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Jesus said, I've overcome. So when our hearts are fixed on Jesus, then whatever the circumstances, joy will eventually come. If my heart is tuned in to the one who's controlling everything, the one who has overcome everything, the one who has destroyed the works of the devil, the one who has overcome the world, if my heart is truly fixed on him and my eyes are truly fixed on him, of course, my flesh is going to fuss and I'm, I'm going to go in and out a little bit. But if I'm truly fixed on him, 
joy will eventually come. Now, as I said earlier, this really is nearly impossible. It's, it is, it, it, if you're not really fixed in on Jesus, if you're not really filling your heart with the word, it really is impossible. It is impossible. But, but, it, it, but that's where we have to be. First Thessalonians, we quoted it earlier. Paul said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, in everything. There's, there's two aspects of this joy. Number one, we have joy in everything, not for everything. I don't thank the Lord for my cancer. I don't thank the Lord for my unemployment. I don't thank the Lord for the death of a loved one. I thank the Lord in the middle of my cancer. I thank the Lord and have joy in the middle of my unemployment, knowing that he's going to open a door at some point. I thank the Lord in the midst of a death of a loved one, knowing that that loved one is with the Lord and I'll see them again someday. So I have joy in that situation. But he also says, I believe, have joy when things happen. Always, this word always, when he says in, in our passage, rejoice in the Lord always, it's sort of a strange verse word. It doesn't literally mean 24 hours a day. The best way to translate this word always is when even. When even. <laughs> doesn't make sense. But I believe what, the, what Paul is saying here is when the sky is blue and the sun is shining, I can have joy. When the bank account is full, I can have joy. When you're fit as a fiddle and you're just running strong, I can have joy. When the job interview goes well, I have joy. When the pay raise comes, I have joy. When I'm surrounded by all my loved ones, I have joy. But then there are those even times when the joy still must remain full. In other words, even when our friends have forsaken us, even when our loved ones are gone, even when I'm all alone, even when every man becomes a liar, even when the bank account is empty, even when I can still have joy. You say, well, where's that in scripture? <clears throat> well, we know it from Habakkuk, don't we? Though the fig tree might not blossom, nor be fruit on the vines, though the labor of the olive tree may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I'm telling you what, if you're a farmer and all those things happen to you, <laughs> you're in bad shape. All you've got left is God. Is the Lord bringing us to the place? And I believe this in these last days. I believe the Lord is bringing us to this place. I've said it before in different ways that we're on a three-legged stool and two legs have just been kicked out. That was several years ago. Then COVID came and all sorts of things happened. I believe the Lord is bringing us to the place where all we have is him. And you know what? Those that really have their heart fixed on Jesus are going to be just as happy with just him as they were with what they had before. <laughs> wow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the king, didn't they? And he said, you got to bow. And those three young men, like poker sticks among thousands of people, stood straight up. 
And they stood before the most powerful leader of the day and they said, Be it known unto you, O king, that our God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. And then came the most cataclysmic three words of their lives. But if not... When our God delivers us from this fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow, we will not worship, we will not stop serving our God <laughs> because our joy in our Messiah, in our Lord, doesn't come from a Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't come from a palace, it doesn't come from a thing, it doesn't come from a potion, it doesn't come from a money market, it doesn't come from anything, it doesn't come from a stock, it doesn't come from a bond, it doesn't come from a car, it doesn't come from a house, it doesn't come from a person. Our joy is in Jesus. Hallelujah. There was that, that wonderfully famous incident in David's life when he disobeyed God. What? David disobeyed God? <laughs> oh, my Lord. I love that guy. He was such an idiot. <sighs> but he was my idiot. And I'm like him. When he disobeyed, nobody was supposed to say amen right then, by the way. <clears throat> when he disobeyed God and he numbered the people and a plague came and thousands began to die. And, he, and, and the prophet said, you've got to go sacrifice to stop this plague. And so David went to Aruna, uh, one of the landowners there, and, and he said, I need, to, I need to, to buy some stuff for this sacrifice. And Aruna said, well, no, you're the king. You could just take it for free. Just take whatever you need. And David said, no, no, I will not serve God with something that is free. I have to pay for this, for this sin. And so he did, and of course he bought the sacrifice, and the plague was stopped. And he ends that Psalm 30, he ends that beautiful Psalm 30 by saying, for his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Mm. No matter what our circumstance, for the believer, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes back every morning. I never forget, dear friend of ours, husband suddenly passed away, blood clot in the leg, 50 years old, went right home, two young children. And I remember she said that her cousin went through the same thing. Her husband was in a tree trimming something and fell and died, and two young children. And she said, all I can tell you is this, Kathy, her name is Kathy, all I can tell you is this, that someday you will laugh again. And you know, she, she, she does, she does. Weeping enjoy, endures for the night for the believer, but joy comes. Those who sow in tears, the word says, shall reap in joy. He who continually go forth, goes forth weeping, bearing seed for, what a picture that is. 
He goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. How many times we weep when we dispense that seed? How many times we weep for unsaved loved ones? How many times we weep for those in difficult situations? We're weeping, but yet in faith, we're sowing seed. It doesn't make any sense. We're still dispensing the word. We're still dispensing prayer. We're still believing, but yet we're weeping at the same time. But doubtless, the word says, he shall come again rejoicing, bringing his harvest with him. So rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. Let me, let me tell you, let me just close with this. It, it, I've said this to so many people over the years. I, I learned it, I saw it in Bible college in 1980, 81. So it's, it's real old, but it has stuck with me all those years and it has helped me invariably all these years over and over again. And that is, and I've, I've mentioned it before, that is the, the little fact, faith, feeling train. The engine is the fact. This is the engine that drives it all. The faith that we have is attached as the middle car to this fact, right? And feeling is the caboose. Eventually, when you attach your faith to Jesus, to the word of God, eventually you put your faith to it, eventually your feelings are going to follow. The problem is, what happens? We get the cart before the horse. We get the caboose in front of the engine. And how many know that when you put a caboose at the front and the engine at the rear, you ain't going anywhere? When we put our feelings first, then the facts are lost. There are no facts anymore. But when we put the fact of the word first and we say, Jesus, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't understand anything, but this is your word and I'm going to hold on to it. And my faith is going to be attached to your word. And I don't care what I feel. I don't care what's happening around me. When I attach my faith to this word of God, then I believe eventually my feelings are going to follow. And they do every time. So rejoice. You say, should I rejoice when I don't feel like rejoicing? Yeah, go ahead. Well, isn't that a lie? Yeah. But it won't do any harm, will it? You can complain all you want. Is that going to help? You know the old saying, somebody say, hey, how you doing? Well, I can't complain. Well, it's good because I didn't do any good anyway and nobody listens. It, you're much better off rejoicing than complaining, aren't you? <laughs> At least you'll look happy. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Father, we just thank you so much that we have this fact that is on our cell phones. It's on our laps right now. It's at home. We have various versions of this fact. We can read it 24 hours a day. Help us to attach our faith to this fact and then begin to rejoice in it. We don't care what our feelings do. Feelings come and go. But facts of your word remain. And I believe that's what Paul was saying. If you rejoice, beloved, in the Lord, and the power of his might, then you'll be able to do it always. So help us to do it. I pray right now for those that might be going through a tough situation, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever it is, difficult situation. We're all facing them that they would turn their eyes away from the circumstance. They would look to the Lord of the harvest above the horizon 
and they would look to your word. They would look to you, the author and finisher of their faith, and that you would restore their joy, their joy. And they'll do it because we fix our eyes on you. We thank you for it. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together. How many know that I can have joy, you can have joy after the last donut is eaten? My mother said to me the other week, she says, you sure talk about donuts a lot. I said, I know, it's terrible. And the funny thing is, I don't even eat them that much. After the last thrill is gone, the joy can remain. After the last person has left us, the joy can remain. After we leave this place, such a nice, warm place, communion, brothers and sisters sharing. Do you know how one, let me say this, I, I forgot to mention this, but you could walk by and see the, we're, we're finishing the, the construction there, taking the wall down. But do you know how wonderful it was yesterday to be with like eight or nine or ten guys, not one cuss word, not one negative thing, not one ugly comment about a, a wife, not one nastiness at all, not any grumbling. No grumbling, no complaining, no murmuring. Do you know how nice that was? Do you know how wonderful it is to go away feeling like, wow, I don't have to take a shower. I have to take a shower because I got dust on me. I don't have to take a shower because I feel like people verbally and mentally and emotionally puked on me. So wonderful. Joy, joy, hallelujah. Let's keep the joy going. God bless you. Turn around, shake one another's hand, bless them in Jesus' name. Go forth with that joy.